The Guardian, live at the Edinburgh Festival 2009. Hello, fans of listening to things on MP3 players or other mediums. Thanks for listening to the Guardian's podcast from the Edinburgh Festival. I'm Richard Herring. Funnily enough, we've just recorded the whole podcast. I know exactly what's going to happen. I could ruin everyone's jokes for you. Uh, I've just stepped off the stage at the Gilded Balloon and I'm sat standing outside the back, outside the fire exit. If there's a fire, uh, everyone's fucked because I'm blocking the door. Uh, so I'm recording this introduction, so it was quite... It was nice, it was fun, there's lots of good people coming to look out for Jared Christmas, he seemed a bit hungover and he's just had a small baby so that might be part of the problem. Uh, Joe Caulfield's on, there's some great people on, uh, so uh, there was Doc Brown who I love, was doing, does a very funny thing about the Archers, I'll try and do it for you now. Ooh the Archers, no I can't do it. Uh, the Penny Dreadfuls who are quite good, um, do a joke. they're doing a sketch about being creepy, I've ruined it for you. Um, Maggie Service, I've never seen her before, she was great, I really liked her. Uh, Jared, I've mentioned, Joe Caulfield, who's lovely, you must go and see her. And Chris McCausland, who's doing a thing about being struck by lightning, which sounds brilliant, so you must go and see that. Oh, and I'm on it as well. Uh, I'm do, I do something at the end, and then I talk about being racist, as everyone who reads The Guardian knows I am. Uh, so uh, make sure you keep listening out for some good racism coming up. Welcome to the nightclub of the Gilded Balloon, to The Guardian, live at the Edinburgh Festival 2009! <laughs> Uh, My first guest show is called Seven Strikes. It's about a man called Roy who was struck by lightning seven times. Uh, Let's find out more. Please welcome Chris McCausland. You're enjoying your Edinburgh experience? It's doing me knees no good. So there isn't a a level surface in the whole city, is there? (laughs) And um, I'm I'm, I'm blind, so um, I... I don't really know what the next step brings. The whole of Edinburgh is a complete unknown. So I've, <laughs> I've, to- I've torn ligaments in my knees. <laughs> I've ended up having to strap one of them up, but it's good. It's going well. And your, your show, uh, Lightning Strikes, is about a, man, about a man called Roy. It is, yeah, yeah. He's in the Guinness Book of Records. And um, I was just doing what any, anybody else does, really, and writing a show um, that was just about things that have happened over the past year. And then um, came across this story about the bloke that was struck by lightning seven times, and all of a sudden everything else just seemed a little bit fucking boring. So, I mean, what, what else can you do? You can't really deliver any other material with any real sense of conviction, can you, really, when you've you got a story like that in your head? So, so um, yeah, it's about this guy that was struck by lightning seven times. Seven separate occasions, by the way. It's not like he was pinned underneath a TV aerial or something, and it just... Ah... <laughs> uh, so what, uh, what, are your, what was your favourite time that he was struck by lightning, Roy? <laughs> I mean, inevitably, if you get to know it well, you will rank them, won't you? Yeah, you, you will, and, and yeah, I, I, I do them in order as well, and um, I haven't changed them around. Everything in the show is completely true as well. I want people to go away and look it up afterwards. My, my, my favourite part, my favourite one when he was struck by lightning, I'd, I'd imagine, was... Um, what once he, he wasn't even outside he was working in an office <laughs> it came in through the window it, it, it hit him on the head and set his fucking head on fire so, <laughs> um, yeah so that's the highlight of the show to be honest so um, <laughs> and is your blindness is that something that you talk about in your show I mentioned it at the beginning, otherwise people just stare at me like the rest of these lot in here did when I came here. So um, I mentioned it at the beginning, there's a few little jokes. I think I mentioned it four times in the show, but they're all just little throwaway comments. And, and um, 
it's it's not it's not about that really. It's um, it's um, although when I started doing the show, I, and this isn't in the show, but this was a genuine concern of mine because when I started doing the show and I was pre preparing the material about this guy getting struck by lightning seven times, part of my worry was that ironically, or, uh, I I would get struck by lightning before because there was a lot of thunderstorms in July. And I was shitting myself, to be honest. And then I realised, why don't more blind people get struck by lightning? Because you're walking around with a big bloody stick. <laughs> <laughs> and is he, is he still alive? Uh, what's his uh, surname, the Roy man? Oh, don't ruin the end of the show. Oh, right. Oh, right. <laughs> so, no, he's not. He's not. But if you want to know how he dies, half past eight at the courtyard. <laughs> now, you are, you're Rudy the market trader, aren't you, in a, in a CBB show called uh, Me Too? Yeah, all right, you sold out as well, mate. Yeah. <laughs> you sold out before me. I should have learned from your mistakes. <laughs> well, it, the, my, my question didn't actually have the cynical edge to it that uh, I think you, you've perhaps read into it. Uh, <laughs> it uh, did you enjoy that, though, the CBeebies experience? Do you know, it was, it was good fun. It was, um, it was one of them things that somebody mentioned, so they asked me to do it. It's basically on CBBS if anyone's never seen it. And it's, it's, um, some people say, oh, have you ever acted before? But Miles, you'll agree, it's not acting, is it really? It's saying things enthusiastically in stupid clothes. Yeah. And, um, <laughs> and I, I, I wasn't going to do it because I, I thought, oh, God, I don't I would look like an arsehole. I look like a right wally. And I was sitting on a train to Aberystwyth one Tuesday night with another comedian who's a really nice guy, Michael. And he was saying to me, I was saying, oh, yeah, but I just look like a wally. I've never... And he went, I hope you're under no illusion that what we do in any way makes us look cool. <laughs> yeah, I suppose you've got a point, really. <laughs> so... I was sitting with someone yesterday and they got a text message saying, Can you, I used to play someone called Archie the Inventor in this thing, and they sent me this thing and it said, please, uh, the guy I'm staying with, his sister sent him a text saying, please can you get me a picture of Archie, secretly or otherwise? <laughs> <laughs> Unbelievably sinister is that. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Ladies and gentlemen, please thank Chris McCausland. <laughs> Joe Caulfield is about to join us, uh, but first we're going to get a bit of stand-up comedy under sketch. Uh, performing every day at the Gilded Balloon. You may well recognise him from that pot noodle advert. Please welcome Convenience Foods' Mr Sex, Jared Christmas! I like whispering. It's a form of communication on a quieter level, isn't it? But it's weird and creepy, isn't it? Because you could go up to a kid who's by itself and go, how are you getting home? Fair enough question. But if you were to go, how are you getting home? Where's your mum? Where's your mum? <laughs> my wife likes waking up in the middle of the night and whispering in my ear, I love you. It's nice words, but I'm sound asleep. I wake up to, I love you. And I'm like, yeah? Do you love a man who's just shed his pants? Because that's what's fucking happened here. Uh, so emus. Um, interesting thing about those things. Uh, I was down in Australia and uh, I got approached by two Aussies and they asked me, I'm from New Zealand by the way, I know you're all thinking I was Australian, you're racists. Um, yeah. dropped, the, dropped the racist card early on, didn't I? Shit. Um, yeah, basically they said, do you want to ride an emu? And for some reason I went, yep. And uh, so next thing I find myself in a field with two Aussies and an emu, which is weird anyway, and um, and they, I ended up jumping on this emu, and it just took off. And I wasn't expecting that. I'm quite a heavy guy. I was expecting at least its legs to buckle. But um, it didn't. It took off, and it was incredible. And uh, the one most interesting fact about emus that I discovered is they can rotate their heads 180 degrees. 
So I'm riding the emu, next thing it's looking back at me, right? And it's still running forwards. That's a weird moment in my life. You know what else they have? Beautiful eyes. But in the moment, I couldn't fucking appreciate that because I was shitting myself. I'm on a bird that's running forwards but looking backwards at me, but it wasn't done. Oh no, I have one more trick up its long-legged flightless bag of birdie goodies. Tried having a little peck at me. How many things can one creature do at one time? This is taking multitasking to a level that woman can't even dream of. New girls, you bang on about your multitasking. Well, guess what? And then you shits all over your multitasking. I can't join the multitasking game. I can't even change the track of my iPod when I'm going for a jog. So, uh, yeah, I don't go for jogs. Um, I'm a taxi guy. All I'm saying is if you go down to Australia and they say, do you want to ride an emu? Say no. But if someone says, do you want to ride a kangaroo? Yeah, get involved. <laughs> Come on, that's like riding a living space opera. Who wouldn't have a go on that? Um, so it's genuinely been really nice to be here. Um, I like Miles Jupp, although he is really into cricket. Um, which I think cricket's a half hour of action jammed at, packed into a day. <laughs> it's a joke right at the end. Um, <laughs> I love you all individually, and I will follow you home. So, uh, thank you very much. I've been Jared Christmas. Cheers. Good night. Bye. Goodbye. Goodbye. Jared Christmas. Our next act have been described as Pythonic, Blackaddery, uh, and generally excellent. Please welcome to the stage perform, to perform a Victorian sketch, The Penny Dreadfuls. <laughs> my darling you're the greatest wife anyone could ever hope for would that that giant squid had eaten me instead <laughs> hello father Susan Junior can it be oh father it's been too long oh far too long my darling what, what news from the city <gasps> good news I hope father <gasps> for you see John has asked me to marry him has he indeed <laughs> And pray tell, what was your response? I told him that he must first meet with my father's approval. Oh, very good, Susan, very good. And when do I get to meet the man that's stolen my only beloved daughter's heart? Well, right now, if you so choose, father. You see, he's standing just beyond our door. Oh, well, pray usher him in. I would meet the caliber of man that you have chosen to marry. Here he is. John, this is my father, Francis Belafonte. Father, this is John Dowling. A pleasure to meet you, Mr. Belafonte. Susan has told me most of the things about you. Ah, oh, the pleasure's all mine, John. Uh, tell me, what, um, what manner of family do you come from? I was orphaned at a young age, but was cleared of all charges. Right. And uh, what line of work are you in? I was an undertaker's assistant for a time, oh. but was fired. For borrowing. Right. Uh, do, do excuse us just for a second, won't you, John? Susan, can I, can I oh, have a Father, word? isn't he the most wonderful man? No. Whatever do you mean? He's a creep. In what way? In every way. The way he looks, the way he talks. He even smells creepy. Father, you just need some more time to get to know him, don't you? I don't think that I do. He's a creep. He's, he's creepy McCreep from Creepstown. He is the mayor of Creepstown. Father, this is the man I love. Please. Well, all right. 
perhaps having a trifle hasty, you know, books and first impressions, all that sort of thing. Uh, John, John, uh, do, do excuse us, just family matter. <laughs> Not at all, Mr. Belafonte. I took the opportunity to admire your fixtures and your fittings. <laughs> you have some divine silverware. Oh my God, that is creepy. Come on, Father, one more chance. Oh, no, Susan, your father is quite astute. I am something of a creepy individual. <laughs> An excellent observation, sir, well made. Oh my God, that is weird. <laughs> I just insulted him, he backed me up, that's creepy. Father, John, you're not... Really a creep deep down, are you? I'm afraid so, Susan. I'm the creepiest elf in all of Pixie Town. Oh, God, he's dancing! Make him stop! Susan, for God's sake, where'd you find these people? Uh, my night glasses at the docks. Oh, God! Father, if you, if you don't approve, then I suppose the wedding's off. Of course the wedding's off. You were planning on marrying a creep. Being married to a creep's no fun and game, Susan. I, of all people, should know that. You don't mean... Your mother was a creep, Susan! No! Yes! Look at her! Look at the portrait! The stubby little fingers! The forehead that goes all the way back to the crown of her head! That's just weird! I never knew! Well, now you do! I only wish my father had been alive to tell me what it would be like. Everywhere we went, people would point. They'd stare. They'd shout. Creep! Creep! I'm sorry, Father, I had to slap you. You see, you're just saying creep over and over again. I'm sorry, Susan. I just want you to know what you're letting yourself in for. <laughs> I love you, Father. I love you too, Susan Junior. <laughs> it is lovely to love, isn't it? Oh, God! <laughs> what, you... Get out of my house, you damn dirty creep! Could I have a sandwich for the journey? No! God, what, what, what is wrong with you? Give me one good reason. I shouldn't kill you right now. I have a newt in my pocket. Oh my god, that's creepy! The Penny Dreadfuls! <laughs> the Penny Dreadfuls are on at the Pleasants at 8.30 every night, uh, performing their new modern show, The Neverman, and there are indeed extra shows on Friday and Saturday. Uh, now, uh, we next have uh, one of the most successful female comedians in Britain. She's regularly seen on TV panel shows. She's written for many high-profile comedians, and she was considered to be one of the top uh, 100 greatest stand-ups by Channel 4. Her show, Joe Caulfield Won't Shut Up, is on at 8pm every night at the stand. Please welcome the lovely Joe Caulfield. Are you having a good festival there, Joe? I'm having a, a very good uh, festival, although I have set fire... Hopefully they're not listening. I have set fire to the flat that I'm renting. Um, yeah, and I, it was sort of weird because I didn't realise how many fires I have started. So I... Because it's in a kitchen, so I'd, I'd made food and I'd left the gas ring on and I'm sitting at the table eating, the cook is right behind me, and I said to my husband, I was going, oh, the oven seems very hot, seems to stay very hot. My husband ignored me, he's watching television, which... Kind of as a bad reflection of our marriage, I suppose. <laughs> He's ignoring me. And then I turn around and realise, oh, the whole cooker is on fire. And my husband just went, how do you put out fires? I can't believe he didn't know. And I went, oh, you get a tea towel and you wring it under the, under the tap and then you put it over. And he went, but all the tea towels are on fire. <laughs> so, well, I had left all the tea towels on top and, and the, um, the gloves, the whatever you call them, oven gloves. So everything was on fire. And we both just kind of stood there going, 
really no idea what to do now. <laughs> no idea. So then I did uh, very quick thinking. I did go and get a towel and do the same thing with the towel, and then that put it out. And then I said, I just said, I can't believe you don't know how to put out a fire. And he just said, but you always put out the fires. <laughs> <laughs> and then he went back over how many fires I have started. Oh, really? and, and, and I have started a lot. We used to have one of those old-fashioned grills, and I would set fire to that regularly once a week. And now I'm not allowed candles. And he did remind me, he goes, do you know what, remember why you're not allowed candles? And I was going, oh, I never really thought why I'm not allowed, because you set fire to everything. Yeah. <laughs> So we've had a minor fire, but otherwise I'm, I'm, I'm having a really good time. I think everyone, this festival, recession, fantastic for comedy, isn't it? Everyone wants to go out and get pissed and have a laugh. Yeah. No, it's that's the really, British way, isn't it? Yeah. yeah. Well, it's been a much happier festival, I think, than last year. Everybody was miserable most of the time. And this year yes. People are, people are up for it. Uh, yeah. Although I think the city will be dragged down by your inadvertent vandalism. Um, <laughs> The other night I had three people walk out of my show and I was kind of pleased because I've never had anyone walk out so I kind of went, oh, I'm dangerous, you know. But then I thought about it and I thought, but they walked out after three minutes. They couldn't have hated me that much in three no. minutes to walk out. So I asked uh, Neve, who's on the door and she said there were three Japanese tourists and they just came up to her and they just said, it's just a woman talking. LAUGHTER <laughs> And so she said, yeah, it's stand-up comedy, that's what it'll be. And they went, but does she move or change clothes? <laughs> right, so she had to explain to them what stand-up comedy was and that you will be quite disappointed. There's a lot of shows where it's just someone talking. And they did just go off muttering, going, but it's just a woman talking. And they go, yeah, that is what it is. It's will just that, a woman will talking. Will that be on your poster for next well, year? Well, I could... Uh, I, I, good idea. Can I do that? Just a woman Joe talking. Joe Caulfield, just a woman talking. I'm not even changing my clothes. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I, I had some people uh, walk out about three minutes in about two years ago, and I said, w what's wrong? And they said, we have tickets for Miracle in Rwanda. <laughs> Uh, somewhat upsetting. Uh, on at the stand every night at 8pm, ladies and gentlemen, Joe Caulfield! <laughs> Richard Herring is currently grooming his Hitler moustache backstage, ready to come and join us, but before he does, we're going to get a couple more performances. Uh, first up, uh, one of the finest character comedians around, a very good friend of mine. She's on every day at 3.15 at the Guild of Balloon with Service with a Smile. Please welcome Maggie Service! Oh, you look gorgeous! You've lost so much weight! Oh my god! I hate you, you bitch! <laughs> oh, I just caught myself staring at your boobs. They look fantastic. I was like that. <laughs> if I wasn't straight and didn't have my gorgeous boyfriend, who loves me, by the way, you might have just turned me, lady. <laughs> And that was such a fab song you just sang. Oh, my God. I would never have the courage to get up and do that. I was looking at you and thinking, oh, my God, not another one. She's so gorgeous and lovely and she can sing. I think I just might have to shoot her dead. <laughs> Honestly, that's what I was thinking. I just have to shoot you dead. <laughs> I'm not sure that I've got your new Moby. So it is 07. Oh, that's it. God, what a snappy little number. Store. <laughs> it's great. So easy to remember. Right, well, I will speak to you tomorrow then, gorgeous. God, you're so gorgeous. I hate you. <laughs> no.
podcast last year with Danny Robbins. This year, he's going it alone. Please welcome, with a brilliant rap, Doc Brown! Uh, this is a bit of an emotional return for me, getting back to the fringe, because uh, these days I work a lot with the, with the BBC, you know, I you know, do a lot of music, get commissioned to write a lot of stuff for them, and I, I, in particular I've been doing a lot of stuff with Radio 4, which is uh, it's a bit of a strange fit, I'll be honest with you, right? Uh, I, I, they like me though, you know, I think I'm a bit of a novelty, I don't know that they've had one of me up there for a little while, right? Uh, and you know, I try my best to fit in. You know, I started reading The Guardian and whatnot, and, um, but it's hard, you know, um, not fitting in reading The Guardian, right? Like the Saturday edition, it feel, feels like it's having a go at my life, you know? Like work, money, <gasps> family, sport, mm. now review. God, you're right, I am a loser. Right. So, but they, they, as part of this kind of diversity initiative that they've got at Radio 4, they had me recording these little musical trailers for some of their flagship shows, you know, try and get a bit more of a diverse, younger audience and whatnot, switch it up. And uh, it's been cool. I've, I've done a lot of them, like rap-based stuff, and it's been, it's been really a lot of fun. I did one for, um, for you and yours, um, the, the uh, shipping forecast, um, one for Woman's Hour. That was wicked, actually, because we had, like, Jenny Murray doing some backing vocals and whatnot. <laughs> uh, I, I call her J-Mo now. Um, and I, yeah, it's been cool. I, I even did one for one of the most famous shows of all time, right? Check this out. Now here's a little fact that's not probably known Young folks are sick of all these dodgy shows Neighbours and Hollyoaks I got something so much darker, much harder Forget two pints of lager, it's the archers Let me take you on a walk through the hood Borsetshire, where they're up to no good the new series ain't what you envisaged Sex, drugs, money and murder in the village Oliver leaves his wife for someone better Even though she's a cow, no a real cow, a heifer Tom Archer, he stabs pigs in his cottage And claims it's for organic sausage Blood stains on the ceiling, got a feeling It's just the front for Tom's heroin dealing Will Grundy walks with a cock shotgun With a swagger just like a pimp, he says he's not one Seems he's hiding a strange secret Got enough birds, they call him the gamekeeper It's just another day in the ghetto Ambridge, it's like a modern day Soweto Doc Brown! Thank you very much! Our final guest today was described in GQ magazine as the best comedian of his generation. Uh, his 25th fringe show, Hitler Moustache, has caused a reasonable amount of controversy. Uh, <laughs> here to tell us about it, Mr. Richard Herring! <laughs> now, it's not impossible that you may have been getting some strange uh, looks. You've got a Hitler moustache. Well, it's a uh, toothbrush moustache, yes. Sorry, I beg your pardon. That's all right. I mean, I, I, you know, I do call the show Hitler moustache. So yeah, I think you've, you've put that into my head. <laughs> what is, uh, uh, what, what's the deal, then, with the, with the toothbrush moustache, if you will? Well, it's just, you know, I, 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 I can't quite remember why, why I started thinking about it, but it, it just seemed unfair that the, uh, this moustache was associated only with Hitler when it, when it started out as Charlie Chaplin's moustache. So the idea was to try and reclaim it uh, for comedy. Uh, and uh, and just I just want I was interested to see why you know seventy years on we can't no one has this moustache anymore when it used used to be quite a popular moustache in the twenties and thirties and now it's just associated with one man even though lots of people have, have had it and so I just sort of was interested why that was and then also to see what would happen to me 
if I went around with it on my face. <laughs> uh, what, what's the best thing that's happened to you as a result um, of fun? It's, it's been really, it's, it's, it's been weird because it actually just makes um, the best things are when I forget it's there and then something else happens. And, uh, and then suddenly I realised halfway through I have this moustache on my face. Uh, and there's a story in the show about me getting... I had my iPhone stolen uh, by... Just in the middle, just plucked out of my hand by, by a guy on a bicycle when I was walking along, and, uh, and, uh, which was very upsetting for me because I loved my iPhone. And, uh, but then I was sort of talking to the... You know, the police kind of came and we were sort of discussing it and, and they were being really helpful. I just thought they'd go, well, you're an idiot. Why didn't you hold it onto your iPhone? But they were really doing their best to find this guy and on the walkie-talkie kind of describing him and, and I thought, this is amazing. And then I remembered that I had this moustache and I, <laughs> A, thought, what are the police thinking going on here? And B, I thought, is this why they're being so helpful, the police? Because of this, <laughs> have they recognised a kindred spirit? <laughs> <laughs> or, uh, or just is it, if you know, if you've got this moustache, anyone in a uniform has to obey you. It's just like, uh, <laughs> implicit. Now, uh, there was a slight hoo-ha uh, prior... <laughs> Prior to the festival, yes. uh, concerning your moustache, which was related to this this publication for whom I'm yes. working, uh, how uh, is is that better now? I think so. I mean, I think it worked out okay in the end. It was just it was just uh, Brian Logan was writing an article about offence in comedy and and, and 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 his idea that there's a new breed of offensive comedians, which you know every every year journalists will come up with an idea that there's a new sort of section of comedy which which they can make you can make anything fit into it because there's always there's every kind of comedy going on so if you want to decide just to pick five five people out you can do he had he'd basically come up with a premise yeah. for his article hadn't he and everyone who read it you know because he'd, he'd he'd obviously run out early of people who were offensive because <laughs> everyone read it went richard herring racist you're crazy well it was weird because he just took a you know i had a lot, an hour long interview with him and i was you know and i trusted that it was the guardian you know sometimes when you're being interviewed by journalists you think i'll be really careful about exactly what i say so they don't just take a line out of context and make me look like the opposite of what I am uh, and so I kind of talked quite openly with him because I, you know, I thought it was kind of an interesting article and I do, in, you know, especially in my podcast I do with Andrew Collins we explore, we, we go as far as we can with things, you know, but it's from a silly point of view, a juvenile point of view and it's usually making a, a reasonable point point. and so he took three lines out of three of my routines without explaining the routines which were, I hate Pakistanis, I think all black people should be deported, and that racists have a point. Uh, which to me... Which to me, I read it and thought, that guy doesn't sound very nice. <laughs> I'm not going to go and see his show. So I'm... I'm, I'm did, this... he, did he put it with a photograph of the with the moustache? <laughs> yeah, with a Hitler moustache. <laughs> but, but I was generally... I'm guessing you look like a bit of a twat, to be honest. <laughs> I was generally quite scared because I thought, like, if someone, you know, I live in West London and I live in, a, you know, my community, you know, my, all my neighbours, pretty much every ethnicity is covered in just my street, and I wonder, you know, and I and I know I'm very recognisable at the moment because I have this moustache. So if someone saw me and said, "Oh, you're the guy who hates Pakistanis and wants black people to be deported," I expect because you, you've got that Hitler moustache. Yeah. I put the things that, you know, and I, I wouldn't have felt that they, they, you know, I think they would have had a reason to punch me in the face. As it happens, all those routines kind of, are, are, you know, are, are, you take a comedian, you know, the, it. it Oh, you said the show argues that racists have a point, whereas in the show it says that racists might have a point, you know, and, and then, I, then I explore that idea and discover that they don't have a point, you know. So as a, as a comedian, you're writing things, you know, it's often a good way to, to, to knock a point is to, to argue from their point of view, you know. And the great thing about 
the, the great thing about uh, doing a show about racism is that racists' views have no historical, genetic or scientific <laughs> facts behind them. In fact, if you talk about them, they're shown to be ridiculous. You know? so, to, so to start from a premise such as, as that is a kind of a comedic device. And for, for someone to take that out of context, it was a bit... I, you know, I, I think just a, a bit sloppy of him, really. I don't think he... I think, I think, he, had, I think he decided he was making a point, and the, in the end of the article he said, oh, I think there is a point to, to doing these offensive these offensive routines, but it didn't specifically say that about me, so I just felt I'd been a bit misrepresented, but The Guardian uh, kind of allowed me to write a two-page article defending myself, so it's turned out to be really good publicity, so I'd like to thank <laughs> <laughs> that me and Brian just got before, got together before and said, How, you know, I'm, the tickets aren't selling that well Brian, could you just say I hate Pakistanis in the paper and uh, I'm sure <laughs> it'll take off with The Guardian readers, there's secretly a lot of racists amongst The Guardian readers they, they're pretending to read that paper. Uh, so no, it's turned out to be, you know, it made, it made the show a talking point right at the beginning of the festival, and so I guess that was a good thing, but for a couple of days, and it's actually very interesting the way the internet and things like podcasts and my own blog, you're able to immediately respond to these things. I think ten years ago this might have been a, a different kind of scenario where uh, because I was immediately able to write a blog and immediately on Twitter and Facebook people were getting very upset and other comedians kind of j jumped to my defence. Dave Gorman wrote a really uh, great piece about it on his blog, and then suddenly that means Within a day, there was a there was an opposing you know movement towards that, which I think meant the Guardian sort of had to give me the right to reply. Whereas ten years ago, without the internet, I might just have been stuck there coming to Edinburgh with everyone throwing eggs at my <laughs> face like I was some kind of melty-faced Nick Griffin. <laughs> uh, Richard Herring is going to give us an extract of his show, ladies and gentlemen, uh, to let you make your own minds up. I think it sounds offensive. Um, <laughs> <laughs> Before. And don't just, and I don't want to get to the, listen to this podcast and just find, I come on, Richard Herring, I hate Pakistanis. <laughs> <laughs> I want all black people to be deported. <laughs> Not again. <laughs> Before he does, I'd like to thank all my guests today. The Penny Dreadfuls, Maggie Service, Doc Brown, Jared Christmas, Chris McCorsland and Joe Caulfield. <laughs> to close the show, our final stand-up performance, performing every night at the Underbelly, Richard Herring. So uh, I never believed them uh, when they said you get more right wing as you get older. Uh, <laughs> so uh, I'm doing this show uh, this year in Edinburgh, as we've discussed, called Hitler Moustache, in which I'm trying to reclaim the toothbrush moustache, as it should be called, for comedy. Because uh, Charlie Chaplin had it first, then Hitler came along, kind of ruined it for everyone. It was probably the worst thing he ever did. <laughs> Because uh, this used to be quite a popular moustache, but now the only place you'll see this in the 21st century is carved into the pubic hair of a naughty lady. <laughs> Robert Mugabe's got a little one as well. Uh, I think it's fair to say, though, the only place you'll see this moustache is on a cunt. Um, <laughs> the, uh, the bloke from Sparks is the exception that proves the rule. So I just wanted to find out uh, <laughs> if it was possible to reclaim this moustache, whether it was wise to try and reclaim this moustache. And what would happen to me if I went around the streets of Britain with this on my face? Because this is real. Uh, there's a real moustache on my face. Uh, it's a 24-7 it's a, it's a commitment. It's a big commitment to make to make quite a glib point. But uh, it's just fascinating to me that this moustache is on the face of arguably the funniest man of the 20th century and arguably the most evil man of the 20th century. I mean, I'm not talking about Blakey from On the Buses <laughs> and Mr. Bronson from Grange Hill. Uh, 
Hitler and Chaplin both had this same moustache. How can it be funny on one face and terrifying on another? Is this the point where comedy and evil meet? Is it the subtle knife between those two universes? Might I slip either way with this on my face? Uh, uh, what if Hitler and Chaplin had ever kissed? Would, would the universe have been destroyed by that dichotomy? Or, or would they have just stuck together like Velcro? Uh, it's hard. <laughs> It's hard to know. But, you know, I don't think they're opposites, comedy and evil. I think they're two hands in the same glove. Uh, I think there's a lot of similarities between... They're, they're both kind of... Uh, between comedians and fascist dictators. I think they're both arrogant, quite opinionated, quite selfish, insecure, a little bit insane. Mussolini would have been a brilliant stand-up comedian if he'd chosen to go that way. And there's a, a lot of stand-up comedians who would make excellent fascist dictators. Now, naming no names, Stuart Lee. So, um... <laughs> I want you to know, ladies and gentlemen, I'm not the only... Ladies, you'll be surprised to hear this. I'm not the only man in this room who has sported the toothbrush moustache. In fact, I'd go as far as saying that every single man in this room who is capable of growing a beard and has at any point had to try and shave it off will have... He won't have told you about it, but what... <laughs> what men do in the privacy of their own bathroom when it comes to... They'll try out a few different styles, won't they? So they, they might shave down, have a little Peter Sutcliffe beard. It doesn't mean they want to hammer women over the head. It's just a little style. They do a Mexican bandit moustache. The last thing every single man will do, he'll go down to the toothbrush moustache, do a little Sikh Heil at himself <laughs> in the mirror, laugh about how amusing he has just been, then quickly shave off before anyone sees. So... I did all that except I kept the moustache on, so who's the person you should be really worrying about? The man proudly wearing this moustache out on the street or the man surreptitiously having it uh, in clandestine circumstances. I know who I'm more scared of uh, and he's sitting right next to you, but... Uh... <laughs> You know, I was worried about being seen as racist. You know, it's kind of interesting. I was worried about offending people. Uh, but I'm not one of these uh, women-hating, uh, sexist comedians. That's, you, can, you can relax, ladies. I am a, I'm a big fan of women. I love women. I'm not a sexist. I've actually got a friend who's a woman. So uh, I can't... <laughs> I can't be sexist. Uh, I believe women should be treated as if they're equal. That is my... <laughs> that's my strong belief. And... Uh, I hope you come and see the show. You can relax, because I, I am definitely... Uh, you can, you'll enjoy it. I'm definitely the best stand-up comedian you will ever see, so you don't have to just come along. You'll really enjoy it. I don't know the meaning of the word hubris, uh, which, which is a shame, because straight after this, I'm taking part in a define the meaning of the word hubris competition. I'm not bothered, though. I think I'm definitely going to win anyway. <laughs> Some people think it's a mistake there to end with a joke that depends on the audience knowing the definition of quite an obscure word. It's quite... <laughs> quite hubristic to put that one in at the close. I assumed that the Guardian readers might get that there. A lot, a lot more stupid than you'd imagine <laughs> if you're listening at home. But uh, I have to say, I, I, maybe a cock joke would have been better to end on. But I, but I, am, I am my own worst critic, uh, though my self-criticism is mediocre at best. Uh, <laughs> Luckily, I have Brian Logan to come and see the show. Just makes shit up. So, uh, thank you very much for having me. See you another time. Cheers. Richard Herring. The Guardian, live at the Edinburgh Festival 2009.